give you the praise. We're in our journey manuals again. We are going to get right into the word of the Lord tonight and um, pick up from where we left off last week. Amen. Let's go to page 35. Page 35. And while we're going there, I would like for someone to turn to the book of John, chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12. (laughs) Amen. All right. So I know you wanted to read, and I know they're recording over there. So these are some of the challenges we have, and I'm always thinking, I, w- I wanted you to read too, but amen. Okay. All right. So the word of the Lord says in John chapter 14, verse number 12, and again, we're still in our journey book, and our topic that we've been on is prayer. And John chapter 14, verse number 12 says, verily, verily. I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now that's important there. He says, and whatsoever... Ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. So that's, whenever we read the Bible, we want to keep the Bible in context. And what that means is you can't just pull a scripture out and make it mean what you want it to mean. When you look at the scripture, you have to look at the passages before, you got to look at the passages after, and even probably cross-reference it to see what uh, it's actually talking about. So Jesus said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. And so sometimes we get to the place where we're saying, I'm asking and God is not doing it. But he said, whatsoever I shall ask him, he will do. And so the question is, why isn't God answering? And so there's another text in John chapter... 15, John chapter 15, Um, let's see here, Uh, John chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse number 7. Verse number seven says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask 
what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So here's another passage of scripture that God is telling us that he will do whatever we ask. But the first one said that if we ask anything in his name, and this one says, if you abide in me and I abide in you. And so it's important to realize that we can ask God whatever we want. Let's get this clear. We can ask God whatever we want, but God doesn't have to give us whatever we ask for. We can tell God whatever we want to tell him, but God don't have to do what we tell him. We can ask him whatever we want, but he doesn't have to do it. We can tell him whatever we want, but that doesn't mean God have to acknowledge it. And so in the scripture, it's telling us that we can ask. Always remember, we talked about this last week, that God in the beginning was a transcendent God. He's absolute. He has no limitation. He is not dependent on anything or anyone. He is all powerful and he has all authority. That means that God know better than you. That means you can't tell him something he don't already know. That means you look crazy for trying to order him around. That means you look crazy for questioning him because of something. Don't mean you can't question him because you want to know why. Because you certainly can question him. But he reserved the right to not answer you. And I believe the best way to look at that, because we don't really have anything more than this, is probably when the kids ask you something that if you begin to explain it to them, they wouldn't even begin to grasp what you're saying. So you just say, don't worry about that right now. Right? Parents, kids ask you something, and what you need to explain to them could be so in-depth that you're not even sure if they're going to understand it. That's us not being sure, but God knows we won't understand certain things, or it's not time for us to understand it yet. So God don't always respond to you. And it's not because he's being mean. It's because you just wouldn't understand why He's doing what he's doing. And so we have to know that he's all-knowing. We have to understand that he's sovereign, all-powerful, all of these things as we begin to pray to God. We have to understand these things. And I believe a lot of, and I'm going to mess with you, a lot of church folk pray, and I think they might have forgotten or forget all of these things about God. And so... This is where we get to the place where we say, the Bible talks about vain repetition. That we're just known by our much speaking. Because if you know all of this about God, some of the things that we say, I'm guilty of it. If we know all of this about God, why are we saying some of the things we say to him? We're praying now. We're, we're saying all these things that it's supposed to be like, well, you know, he knows. You know he's all-powerful. You know he has all authority. You know he controls everything. And so if all of that is true, 
then what? We just have to be careful in how we pray. So we talked last week that um, prayer is fellowship with God, communication with God, and not a monologue where we sit, stand, lay, and rehearse what we want to him. And he can't say anything. When we're done, we get up and we go. Most of us do that. We just belt out everything we need to belt out. Once we get it all out and we can't think of nothing else, all right, I'm out. And prayer is supposed to be a communication between you and God. You didn't give him a chance to talk back to you. Revelations chapter 23, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 20, we read that it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And remember, what I made clear in that text was God is a gentleman. And so uh, God needs the opportunity, your invitation, to uh, do what he needs to do. So just that understanding of God standing at the door knocking, it means the door that he's knocking on he is not the owner of that house. He's on the outside, and that's why he has to knock. When somebody comes to your house, if they belong there, they have a key. And so they push the key in the door, and they go right in. That, that's someone that lives in that home. But the person that rings the doorbell, the person that knocks, the person that announced themselves, they don't live there. And so here is God giving an example that he stands at the door and knocks. The all-powerful God, the sovereign God, standing at the door and knocking. Why would he do such a thing? Because there are certain things that it's up to you for him to do what he needs to do because he won't force his way in. He's a gentleman. Uh-huh. And then I talked to you about that. He said that um, when you let him in, then you will sup with him, meaning you will serve but then he says, and I with you, then the tables will turn and he will serve. And what I try to point out to you is we're doing a whole lot of the serving and God is doing no serving in our life. And so we can't receive the blessings of God like we need to because we're doing all the serving. Martha did all the serving. If we go back and look, I'm sure Mary did some stuff to prepare for Jesus, but after a while she got in the place to say, now I'm going to let him minister to me. I'm going to sit at his feet. And so prayer has to be two ways. I communicate to him, then I shut my mouth and let him communicate back to me because we're ministering to one another, right? I'm, I'm expressing to him whatever I'm expressing to him, and then he will speak to me about what he wants to speak to me about. And he may not speak. He may just listen and say, okay. May not say a word. And there's nothing we can say or do about it because, again, he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all present. So if he decides he won't say really anything to me, what am I supposed to do? Get upset. All right. So we talk about those things. We are commanded to pray. B says we're commanded to pray. And in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, 
it says pray without ceasing. The, 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 the amplifier version is, is what's written there, but I'm telling you it says pray without ceasing. So we're supposed to pray always, okay? C, God answers prayers. God answers prayers, okay? Um, in, in, in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, he says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee. So God will answer you if you will call unto him and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We said five things that prayer will do. And remember I told you when I prepared this manual, um, there were things today, things today that I prepared and put in this manual that uh, I don't believe anymore. Because of just studying the word. So I'll run through this real quick and I'll tell you what I don't really agree with um, that we have listed in this book. Five things prayer will do. Prayer gets your spirit closer to his. Remember I said God is present everywhere all at once. God is pouring out his spirit. God is present everywhere. That's, that's, that's his word. That he's present every. That's what omnipresent means. He's present everywhere at the same time. So if that's true, and if I have the Holy Spirit, like the Bible says I do, and I have witnessed that I do because I've proven that through evidence of speaking in tongues and the Spirit have led me. So if he's present everywhere and I have his Spirit, how much closer can I get to him? So prayer don't get my spirit closer. Prayer makes me focus on Jesus. Don't make me get closer. It makes me focus. He's always present. He's in me. So if I'm not close, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm just caught up doing my own thing. I'm not focused. But when I pray, I become focused, and now I'm paying attention to him. So when we pray... It makes us focus on him. All right? B, prayer changes our attitude. I agree with that 100%. When you pray, you have a different attitude. Because prayer demonstrates humility. People don't pray. People who don't pray, they are haughty. They are not humble. Because when you pray, it means you recognize that there's one greater than you. When you pray, you realize you don't have the answer, but somebody has the answer that's greater than you. So when you pray, it humbles you because you go under and you look up to him and ask him. So prayer humbles you. So when people are not humble, no, they're not praying. So then that should tell you how to approach them, which probably means you shouldn't approach them. People not humble. You got to be careful how you deal with them. They'll tell you off in a second. Because if they're not submitted to God, who do you think you are? Uh-huh. So that's why people that don't pray, leave them alone. Pray for them that somehow they will get the desire to pray. <laughs> Prayer affects the enemy. Remember I told you that you don't need to pray to affect the enemy. So I don't really agree with that 100%. Because I don't have to pray to affect the enemy. 
All I have to say is, Satan, by the authority of the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus, I command you. I talk to him because the Bible already says, as children of God, we have power over the power of the enemy. So we have power over him. We don't have to get no real heavy prayer to start praying to affect Satan. Are you kidding me? Just by being who you are as a child of God, you're affecting him. You have no clue how many times he wanted to do something to you and he couldn't. Because you don't have to pray for that. You are already a child of God. You've got the name of Jesus Christ in your life and the blood of Jesus applied to your life. He can't do nothing with you. So you don't have to pray for that. Prayer changes heaven. That's not right. And I know we have here Hezekiah prayed and changed the mind of God. He was to die and his prayer added 15 years to his life. Your prayers affect the way God deals with you and those you pray for. I don't agree with that. And I'm telling you, I put this manual together um, just, you know, making sure it was legit and all good. I don't agree with that because if that's true, then God is not sovereign. If that's true, God is not absolute. If that's true, God is not all knowing. Because why would he change his mind? If you know everything, why do you need to change your mind? When people come to you, all you're going to say is, don't worry about that right now. You'll be all right because you know everything. You might not explain everything to everybody, but you you won't respond to what they're trying to tell you because you already know everything. So what I tried to tell you last week was what we think is changing God's mind is God interacting with us so we can experience his nature, his characteristics. But don't think we change his mind. You don't change God's mind. Now, I know that's stuff that's been taught years ago. But I'm going to challenge you to say, if that's true, then why, or then we're going to have a problem believing that he's all-knowing. Because an all-knowing person don't have to change their mind. And you may say, well, he knew, but he changed his mind. Why? Isn't there a scripture that says, for I know the plans I have towards, for you, towards you? So if everything about you he has in control already lined up for you, why would he change? If I knew you before you was forming your mother's womb, why would I let you change my mind now? If I knew what your purpose is in this life when you were born and I already got it ready for you, why would I change my mind? Mm Mm-hmm. So God don't change his mind because he knows everything. But when we read the text, and I challenge you, part of what we need to start doing is going into the text and start reading it a certain way so we can understand. (laughs) You know what I read over the other day when me and the guys were together? That God will make a way of escape when we're tempted. (laughs) And we went into it, we, we delved into it a little bit, and what we laughed at was, it's after you have experienced that temptation that he will make the way. 
And so we used to read it and think that we won't get it jammed up. That God will make a way before we can get jammed up. But if you go back and read that scripture, it said in the temptation, he will make a way of escape. We got to go back and read our Bibles. God will make a way of escape. Yeah, that's true. Not until you get jammed up. And you probably got jammed up because you jammed yourself up. So, so, so God will make a way of escape in the temptation. So you're not going to escape the temptation if you don't do right to begin with. But in the temptation, God will make a way for you to get out. So all I'm saying is some things that you've always believed, go back to the text and read it a little bit more and dig into it a little bit more and see if it still reads the same way you thought from when you believed it way back then. Yes, sir. Two you're coming from is the change part. Uh-huh. Is this point like more like about like our prayer appeals to heaven? Mm-hmm. Heaven already knows what he wants to do, but mm-hmm. our prayer is like a petition towards him, right? Mm-hmm. And he gets to choose whether or not he wants to I don't know if that's right. No. But so it's an appeal. So we can appeal. Remember, I start off by saying this evening, we can, uh, we, we can petition, we can appeal, but he doesn't have to listen. So I'm not telling you. What I'm telling you is you will find yourself praying some prayers that won't just do anything. Because you're praying something that God has no business and no agenda to do. But you're praying it. And he's saying, okay, go ahead. It's all right. I'm not doing that. This is why... The two texts that I read to you earlier, whatsoever you ask in my name, you know what that means? According to my plans, according to my intention, according to what I will, then I'll do that. So again, he has the course in your life set. And if you choose to go down that course, then as you begin to petition that, if you're on track to where he say you need to be, then he's just doing it as you're saying it. He's doing it as you're saying it. But that's when you are doing his business. That's why I said whatever you ask in my name, according to my purpose, according to my will, I'll do that. Because that, I'm, I'm doing it. So if you're sensible enough to know that you're walking with me and you're praying, that I'm doing that. But if you ask me something that has no business to do with what we're up to together, then I'm just going to keep on moving. You know, we're not doing that. So that's what I mean by we can petition anything. We can pray anything. But it's only going to be what God intended to do from the very beginning that he will answer. And then I'll throw this little caveat in there. Can't um, underestimate the devil. Because the devil will sometimes try to get things to work in your life and make you think that God is answering your prayers when God didn't answer your prayers. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you're on drugs and you don't have a job, and you keep praying, God, bless me with finances. 
And every time you look up, you was able to get some finances. But all you're ever going to do with it is drink it and smoke it or whatever kind of drugs you do. You think God was doing that? But somehow we're crazy enough to believe God was blessing me with money to go buy drugs. God was blessing me with money to go buy some alcohol to drink. No, he's not doing that. There's somebody that wants you to stay addicted to drugs and alcohol and want to destroy your life. And so he will try to help out in whatever way he can to make you get that money to go mess up your life. All right. Let me move on. Here are the nine steps to get, uh, to guarantee prayer success using the Our Father prayer. So let's take a look at this and you'll see some of the things that I'm telling you proven out. In, in, in Luke chapter 11 verse 1, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so if you look at the prayer, uh, that Jesus taught them in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. It starts out with our Father. And so this is a pattern for prayer. It's not necessarily what you pray, but it's the pattern, right? So when you see our Father, the first thing is that must make some sense to you is, is he your Father? Is he your Father? And so when you say our Father, you are recognizing him as your Father. So now we're talking relationship. You're not just someone. I repeated this prayer, this, this, this scripture tonight at the baptism in John chapter 9, verse 31. I said, look at that scripture where the Bible says um, that, that God heareth not the prayers of sinners. John chapter 9, verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and a doer of his will, hear me hear it. People don't like to hear that because they feel like I prayed and God heard me. And what was my expression? What was my uh, uh, teaching to that was that God reigns on the just and the unjust alike. There are blessings that God is pouring out on the people that is his that will spill over on those that are not his. And so those people might think that, oh, God has heard my prayers and blessed me. The only prayers God is interested in for someone that's not saved is the prayer of repentance. When you say, God. I'm sick of this life that I'm living that is so contrary to the will of God. Forgive me for living recklessly and ungodly. I'm praying and asking that you forgive me of my sins and I turn from my own ways and I turn to you. Will you show me the way? When you pray that prayer, then God says, okay, I need you to be born again. When you pray that prayer, God says, okay, I need you to be holy. I need you to be righteous. When you pray that prayer, God says, I need you to begin to listen to my word and become doers of my word. And, and you pray those prayers, God begins to work in your life. You become a worshiper and a doer of his will. Then God begins to work in your life. Then you have the right now to say, our father. It's unfortunate that we, we, we put God in this, 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 this category to say God is a loving God. So, therefore, again, we always have to, I, I try to find ways of explaining things to you, not because it's exactly this way, but it's the best way I can explain it to you. So, here's how I can explain it to you. 
Somebody else's dad can be a very loving dad. Your neighbor, your, your, your friend's dad can be really, really loving and good to his kids, which means he's probably a pretty good guy. And so you might see him and he might be pretty nice to you, but he don't treat you the same way he treats his kids. <laughs> that's, that's probably what I'm trying to get you to understand when you're talking about God being your father or not your father. As his child, you're different. You're in a different category. You're in a different level, dimension. It's just different. You're his child, so you have the right daddy. And if that's not the position that you're in, then you just got to hope that as daddy is doing his thing, you get a little something, something out of the deal. As daddy is taking care of, oh, God, this is pretty good right here. Same analogy I gave you. You just got to hope that that really nice dad, when he just take care of his kids and give them all the good stuff, they come share it with you. That's heavy. He your daddy. He take good care of you. The neighbors don't have that daddy. He ain't their daddy. Because they didn't do what it took to become his children. And all you can do is pray that when he take good care of his children, they would look and say, would you like some of this? Do you want to come and play with us? This is why sometimes some people think they have the Holy Ghost when they don't have the Holy Ghost. Because they come to church where the children are. And the children are worshiping their dad. And he don't have a choice but to take care of his children and just move among his children and do all these wonderful things with his children. But if you're among his children when he's doing that, guess what? You get some of that stuff too. And so people came and said, leave the service and said, man, I felt something. That must have been the Holy Ghost. Yeah, you felt the Holy Ghost. You don't have the Holy Ghost. He take care of his children. So you get among his children, you don't have a choice, but they receive something because he got to take care of his children. People don't mind coming to my house because they know I love to eat. If you like to eat, you come to my house, you're good. You don't have to worry about it. Right, Jordy? You don't have to worry about it. He's like, my dad going to buy some food. What kind of food you want? Just tell my dad he'll buy some food. We're going to eat good. My kids know that. When we, go on a, when we go on vacation, we go on a cruise, Jordy, like, since he got a little older, he come on rolling with me because he know I'm hitting all the spots on the ship. So he's always rolling. But the point is, God takes care of his children, and those that are with his children will get some blessing too. That don't mean he their dad. Our father. So when we call on our father, we acknowledge a relationship, children and father. Look at Romans chapter 8. This is good stuff right here. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons. I don't know why people feel like they can do whatever they want, but God going to take care of them. 
I don't know. It's just probably just how we, we, we like to feel that way, like God is so good, he'll do this. The second step two in the prayer, hallowed be thy name. The name of God represents the power of God. So when you, when you use the name, there's power in the name. <laughs> there's power in the name of the Lord. And again, this is why it's important that whatsoever you do in word and in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Because that's, you know, uh, I was talking to someone, I said, isn't it strange that we get baptized, not we in this church, because we in this church, we get baptized in his name, the name Jesus. But isn't it funny how people get baptized in the titles Father, Son, Holy Ghost, but if they had to cast out a demon, they never cast out a demon, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Get out of here, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Oh, man. I just, our tradition get us so messed up that we, if we stop to examine it, we will realize, man, we are so traditional because we do everything by the powerful name of, in the name of Jesus. But all of a sudden now we're supposed to get baptized, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But we telling demons they got to go in the name of Jesus. I don't know. I don't know how we let that get past us and, and we swear by it. Oh, you got to get baptized in the titles. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. All right. All right. Step three. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. This is not talking about the second coming, but it's talking about the manifestation of the kingdom, the glory of God. And so the Bible says in Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. Then, in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the scripture says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God, meaning... The demonstration of how God's kingdom operate. This is why when Jesus came on the scene, we never read about demons being cast out until Jesus came on the scene. Because what he's saying is the kingdom has come. And so when the, when the Bible talks about the kingdom coming, it means the power of God reigning. Thy kingdom come. And so when we say that, what we're saying is, we want the kingdom of God to be exhibited, to be established, to be revealed, to be demonstrated in our midst. Thy kingdom come. Step four, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It wouldn't make sense to pray that God does something in the earth because God is all powerful. He has control over the earth. So you don't have to tell him what to do in the earth. He created the earth before you existed. So you, it don't make sense for me to say, God, uh, thy will be done in the earth. I don't even know what his will is to be done in the earth. So yeah, I'm saying thy will be done, but I don't think that's my territory. Let him do what he needs to do in his will being done in the earth. So 
I don't believe it's talking about thy will be done in the earth, earth. I think he means thy will be done in the earth in your body. This dirt that you're walking in. Thy will be done. Because why? He's a gentleman. And the only way God's going to work in your life is if you invite him, Matthew, to work in your life. He's not just going to come and work in your life. Behold, I stand at the door. So until you let him in and give him the the, the opportunity or the access to do whatever he wants, guess what? His will can't be done in the earth. So thy will be done in you. And listen, this is, I know this is challenging because it challenged some of how we see. Listen. When God created everything in the beginning, he says to man, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over what? <laughs> so the deal is God don't have to do anything in the earth if we let him do something in this earth. We are supposed to be the ones that take care of the business in the earth if we let him take care of the business in this earth. Help us, Holy Ghost. It's all about you and Jesus. What he intends to do in your life. What he intends to do to, to work through you to get the will of God. That's what this is all about. What he is intended to do in you to be demonstrated in this earth. So he's working in your life to fix you up. And he's working in your life so you can help to fulfill his purpose in the earth. Thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you have for my life, Lord, it's already established in heaven. Before the foundation of the world, now let it be done in me. I give you all my heart. I give you all my mind. I give you access to my life. Do whatever you want, Jesus. Uh-huh. That's how it's supposed to work. Uh-huh. Teach me, Psalms 43, 143 and 10. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thou spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. God is interested in working in our life. Fifth part of that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, we know the bread is the word of God, but I believe there's more to the bread. And I believe that uh, when we say give us, we, we, we're asking God to give us whatsoever he needs to give us so we can make that day the way it's supposed to be. So as we go out into every day, God is interested in working in this earth so this earth can do something in this world. So whatever we need in the morning, we need to say, God, whatever you have in store for me today, will you give me this day, my daily bread? Give me what I need today. And that is supposed to be repeated every day. The Bible says his mercy is new every day. And so if he got to give us new mercy every day, 
then God, I need some new stuff in me every day. Mercy, thank you. I appreciate that. I need more word. I appreciate that. I need more understanding. I appreciate that because whatever you got me doing today, you know I need everything I need to be, because I can't do anything without you. So every day we pray when we say, give us this day our daily bread, you tell him whatever it is that's daily bread today, I want it. It may just be the word. Okay, I got it. Give me some more. And you read the Bible. You you pray and seek him for direction. But it could be more things. God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. Uh-huh. Step six. And forgive us our debts. <laughs> What kind of debt do you think you probably have with God? We probably have a sin debt, don't we? Because we have so much stuff we've done wrong. They just pile up. Lord, I got a debt here, man. And I I need you to forgive me for this debt because I can't pay it. I can't pay for it. (laughs) Remember I told you the Lord spoke to my oldest son? And told him that he went. He was going around purchasing sin like he can afford it. My God, I never forgot that man. That is some heavy stuff. I said, you couldn't make that up if you tried, son. The Lord told my son. He said, you're going around purchasing sin like you can afford it. Oh God, forgive us our debt, Lord. Forgive us our debt, because. We can't afford it. We can't pay for it. We can't do it. We can't take care of it. Woo! So we got to ask for forgiveness. Very important. Seven, and lead us not into temptation. So when you get into temptation, who got you there? If you pray in that prayer, if somehow you end up in temptation, Probably you lead, led yourself in temptation because we're drawn away by our own lust, the Bible says. So we have desires that are still sinful. We have desires that are still wrong. This is why we're still trying to work it out because we still got some sinful desires. And we're saying, Lord, lead us away from that stuff, man. Lead us away from that stuff because we're so messed up that, that if we don't call on you, we're always going to find ourselves edging back over to that stuff we're not supposed to be doing. Lead us not into temptation. And so we got to pray those prayers. We got to watch that stuff. Remember, just so you know, God don't tempt you with evil. God tests you with things that will help you to grow. But if it's evil, please don't say God led you into temptation. If it's evil, you led yourself into temptation. Because God don't tempt nobody with evil. So if you find it, you can't say, well, God allowed me. I remember somebody said, somebody said this to me. That God did something in my life so I wouldn't hate you. Think about that. We have control over hate. And so God not getting into that. So you can't tell me that God had to do something in your life so you wouldn't hate an individual. That sounds silly. 
God don't want anybody to hate anybody. And so the bottom line is, if, if, if you find yourself hating, that was your doing. That was your temptation. That was your lust. And so you find yourself hating anybody. That's a work that you build up in your life. God didn't build that kind of stuff and now he got to do. No, you built that all up in your life. So you find yourself hating had nothing to do with God. You kept on working and working and working till you build up this thing of hate. And yeah, you're going to need God to deliver you out of that. But you build that up. When we find ourselves in bad spots, it's usually our actions. We we can't go around and say, well, God caused this. Because we like Christian people like to say, well, God did this and God did this. If it's evil, it wasn't God. But we will say whatever we have to say to make us feel better about what we do. But it's unfortunate. Because when you're in the word of God, you understand God don't tempt you with evil. Verse, step eight, I should say. But deliver us from evil. Uh Uh-huh. So when you get constrained or consumed by evil, you need his deliverance. He won't lead you into evil, but he's just such a good God that when you go wrap yourself up in evil, he will deliver you out of evil if you call on him. Man, he's such a good God. He got to stand by and watch us be idiots all the time. And then he got to stand here again and watch us say, Will you forgive me, Lord? I need help. And he's, I, I, he, he good, man. He's good. I'm sure he doesn't shake his head like I shake my head. <laughs> I'm sure he's like, oh, yeah. No, all right. Forgiven. Let's keep it moving. Because he's just standing there all the time and watch us jam our own selves up. Act like we knew better. That we the omnipotent one. That we're the sovereign one. And we get ourselves jammed up trying to be the sovereign God. And then we finally got to go to the sovereign God and ask for deliverance. And final nine. For thine is the kingdom. The kingdom is yours. And the power. The power is yours. And all the glory. All the glory forever. Amen. The kingdom is his. The power is his. All the glory belongs to him forever, forever. Amen. Overcoming problems in prayer. Let's run through this real quick and we'll finish with the overcoming the problems. We have 10 minutes, if not less. The problems, the first one, A, the problem of discipline. We need to overcome the problem of discipline. It's very challenging to be disciplined in this day and age because Every day is not the same. And so things just change so much each day and every day is not the same. So it's very hard, but we have to fight to be disciplined. Your first problem you will face the moment you wake up in the morning. I am going to get out of bed. The devil will always exaggerate how tired you are. I learned that some years ago that when, that, when you're tired 
if you are determined to do something for God, you will realize once you start doing it, you're not as tired. But you got to start doing it. You got to have in your mind, I got to do it. Go to bed on time. Get up out of the bed early. I'm struggling with this, but it's, it's working by default. So I've been trying to get to the gym. And in order to get to the gym the time I need to get to, I'm forced to do it. I like it. I'm kind of forced. I got to get my kids to school by a certain time in the morning. So I can't work out at night. I just, I just, it just never worked for me working out at night. I, I just can't. If I work out at night, I won't sleep. That's why I can't work out at night. So I got to work out in the morning. And so because I have to work out in the morning, it means I got to work out way before my kids are ready for school and blah, 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 blah. So I find myself, you know, I have to get up a certain time. So I kind of find myself going to bed a little bit early. And I'm, I'm just mad at myself because I feel like I'm old. Oh, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a 12 midnight, 1 a.m. kind of bed guy. Now, I feel, find myself going early. I'm just so miserable doing it. Like, because I don't have a choice. I know I got to get up at that time. If I got to go to the gym, I got to get up at that time. I, I, I don't have any wiggle room. It's driving me crazy, but I'm being forced. Nothing I can do. Uh, read and pray aloud. That's one discipline that will help you. Read and, and pray aloud. You see that in your book? Problem of dryness and what they cause. Don't depend on your feelings. Woo! That's just so many other things in living for God. Don't depend on your feelings. Your feelings will lead you wrong most of the times. Not all the time, but your feelings will lead you wrong most of the times. Your feelings will get you in trouble most of the times. So if you cannot trust your feelings and see what the word of God says, you will be much better off. Your physical condition, maybe you're not getting enough rest. We're talking about hindrances to prayer. Then straight up disobedience to God, sin in your life. When sin is ruling in our life, we just by default kind of ignore God. Four, getting in a rut. Isn't that so true? <laughs> Anybody agree with me that man, you can be rolling for a while and if you change something about your, 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 your flow, all of a sudden, it's hard to get back in your flow. When I went up into the mountains the other day, that's how many days I didn't go to the gym. About three or four days I didn't go to the gym. I came back, well, I won't go today. Said, Man, just interrupt your flow. Get in a rut. So you got to be careful with ruts. Try to be consistent in what you do. See, the problem of diligence. The problem of diligence. Your greatest problem is not going to be your struggle to stay consistent. Satan will probably fight you harder on this than anything else because he knows that connecting with God on a consistent basis is where the power is. The hardest thing to do as a Christian, you won't guess it if I never told you, 
the hardest thing to do as a Christian in living as a Christian, the hardest thing to do is to be consistent. It's the number one hardest thing to do. So when you're trying to be consistent in your prayer, it's the hardest thing to do. You're trying to be consistent in and in, in gathering together for church, hardest thing to do. Trying to be consistent in reading your Bible, hard, just consistency as a Christian is the hardest thing to do. All right. I always say, that's jargon over this, so I'll, I'll just say it clearly like this. Um... Whenever you have the devotion, I'm going to close with this. I'm going to challenge you to start having devotion at home. Start having devotions at home. Try to spend between 15 minutes to a half hour with yourself if you live by yourself or with your family, everybody in your home for 15 minutes to a half hour every week of praying together, reading the Bible together. And talking about what you've read. Devotion will consist of talking about what you've read. Because we can easily pray. Okay. Okay. Whatever prayer you prayed. Hopefully we'll pray good because we're learning about prayer. But when you read. And and if you can rotate who kind of leads the devotion. That would be really good. That's what I'm going to do. That would be really good. But try to find a day and a time in your home to do devotion it's very important going into 2020 i'm going to challenge you our theme for 2020 is one o-n-e becoming one with him and in order to do that we're going to have to put in a lot of effort into doing that and one of the things i want you to start thinking about as you do is to start reading passages of scripture then writing down what you got from it. Reading the scripture, then writing down what you got from it. Don't worry about, you don't, don't think deep what you got from it. Just write it down. Doesn't matter what anybody else got from it. What did you get from it? And when we start to read scripture and write, 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 it, you will begin to retain the word of God in your heart. You will. And if we can do that, move it in 2020, we're going to become one with him. We really will be. The prayer wheel, hopefully you all have it in your book. And um, prayer wheel has been going on for years and years. Prayer wheel, prayer wheel work. Utilize it. Study that. It work. Next week we'll pick up on Christian maturity. Christian maturity. Any questions? Any questions? Anybody have any questions? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All you got to do, Kamal, is try to get here every Thursday night and every Sunday morning. And when you can and when you and when you can get here on Saturday evenings to pray that too. Consistency. That's all that you got to do. We we Here's the again I tell you I'm always trying to give you an example so it work. Raising children, you might not understand this, but those of us that have raised children, 
we really never see them growing. We don't really realize it, that they're growing. But what we do know is we're feeding them and we're clothing them and we're making sure they get sleep and all this stuff. So we're doing all these things. We don't really see them growing. Maybe once in a while we look and say, yeah, they're really growing. Like last night I really look and say, okay, my son can reach my dresser. He's growing. But we don't really notice their growth. People from the outside notice the growth quicker. But the bottom line is we just do every day. We wake up every day. We eat every day. You know, we just do the same things every day. It seems like can there be something different? But we just keep doing the same thing every day. But guess what? We all keep growing up. We all keep getting more intelligent. We all keep understanding. So, so you don't have to see it. And that's where people get probably tripped up with church. They think coming on Thursday, coming on Sunday, coming to pray on Saturday, they think, oh, man, that's just a waste of time. It's no different than the everyday life that we live that you can't tell anything is happening. But all of a sudden you become an adult and you're intelligent and you're doing stuff. How did that happen? Consistency. (laughs) Anything else? Anyone else? We're all good? All right, 830. Jesus, you're wonderful and kind to us. Lord, show us how we can be wonderful and kind to you. Show us, Lord God, what we can do in this hour to please you. I pray tonight, Lord God, that all that's been spoken here will truly take root in our hearts. Lord, it will grow and produce good fruit. It will transform us. It will make us, Lord God, become one with you, Lord God. Help us, Lord Jesus, that we may apply the teaching that we heard here tonight, that we will take part in becoming a part of the scripture, that we will walk in it, that we will live in it, and Lord, that we can become doers of it. I pray that every person here will experience the blessings of God, that their home will be blessed, and the power of God will work mightily in them and through them, that they will be one with you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for instructing us in prayer. Now, Lord, will you help us and show us how we must pray effectively, how we don't need to pray vain repetitions, but we will pray the prayers of faith, that we will pray prayers according to your will, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Show us how to pray. Move us in prayer, Lord God, that we can pray effective and fervent prayers. We love you, Jesus. We praise you and honor you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your attention.